27 of the 52 Week Film Project. After last week's party episode, party, uh, we come back to review uh, of our third Screen Unseen, as well as Creed 2. Uh, my name is Will, this is Jake, how are you doing buddy? Hello mate, yeah I'm doing good. Um, very, very formal introduction as always, I feel like you'd be perfect on the Channel 4 news round. What, did you not like the um, the unsolicited party midway through? I did love the party. I'm Indeed. still, uh, I've got to say, mate, I'm, I'm missing missing having you in this room. I'm missing movie theme cocktails and trivia. Um, but like you said, we've got a banging episode this week. We're going to be reviewing Sorry to Bother You, which was our uh, third screen unseen of the year. And also Creed 2. Um, yes. We've also got a pretty awesome news section once again it's so much news i don't know about you but mine is heavily superhero themed as always so (laughs) if if people want to like skip to about 20 minutes in to listen to the film reviews by all means please do if not (laughs) if you're a big nerd just like me and will then you're in the right place um First thing coming up from me this week, James Gunn, obviously the Guardians of the Galaxy director who was fired by Marvel this year. Um, We've spoken about this at length on the podcast. He's now no longer doing Guardians 3. He is in talks to do Suicide Squad 2, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. And that would be a move over to DC. Um, yesterday they dropped a trailer for a film that I had no idea he was doing, um, that is coming out mid, mid next year. I think it comes out sort of June time, uh, called Brightburn. Have you heard about Brightburn? I watched the trailer today and it looks bizarre and wonderful. It looks... I I had no idea that this film was coming. Absolutely none. No, I'd seen, I'd seen nothing to do with this. This film is dubbed like a superhero horror movie. Um, the new mutants eat your heart out, basically. Um, I kind of think this is what they're trying to do with the reshoots for the new mutants. They made it, they wanted to make it a horror film and then they, you know, they ratcheted that back down because they were worried it wasn't going to work. And now they're bringing it back up to be as dark as possible. Um, but Brightburn is, I mean, the concept seems to be sort of mirroring the Superman story. Imagine if you've got like, um, a farmer couple in the US and this alien that resembles a human child crashes down to Earth. And so you take it under your wing and you start caring for it. But instead of it becoming this kind of uh, unblemished, perfect superhero character that will has like, like perfect morality and will do anything to save anyone, i.e. Superman, this kid becomes like an evil fucking villain. Um, and it's quite terrifying in the trailer. Um, there's yeah. this, there's this bit where it's like a woman who works in a restaurant, and she's like hidden herself in like the like the kitchen, and you see the door kind of get melted, kind of like how Superman can melt through steel. You see it get melted, and you see it kind of like get pulled apart, seemingly by like the force of the superhero. And then you see the boy there, and he's kind of cloaked in this sort of cape and this mask that sort of looks a little bit KKK-like, but it's a dark mask made out of, like, a sack. And it, 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 I, don't, oh, I don't know you, how you to really describe it. You really sell it, Jake. Oh, mate, <laughs> it's it a dark up. mask made out of a sack. That's what it looks like. It looks like The Strangers. It looks like those characters, from those yes. creepy stalkers from The Strangers. He looks like that, and then he, like, flies at her, and, like, the trailer ends. And it's, it's fucking intimidating, man. Like, it looks really exciting. Yeah, I am very excited for it. I mean, it's nice to see that James Gunn is doing a project that is completely devoid of DC and Marvel as well. Well, it's, it's going, a superhero. F- 
it's going back to his roots. I mean, he did Sliver in exactly. 2006. He like came up doing horror movies. Mm. Well, yeah, that what Mark Mode says that any director who needs to get back to their roots um, should should direct uh, some kind of horror film because it's the easiest. Not the easiest. It's the easiest thing to screw up and the hardest thing to do right, a horror film. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I, I think, the mark of a good director is being able to go back to those horror roots. I'm very excited. I think it'll be great. But I also, think be great. The, the market for horror is so high at the moment. When we've seen exactly. things like A Quiet Place, Hereditary, It, like all of a sudden people are really keen for really high-end horror films. And this looks like it will kind of continue that trend. Mm. I think so. Um, good stuff. Uh, my second, my first piece of news, even um, the Golden Globe nominations have been released. Um, now, in my notes, so bear with me. In my notes, I've just got all of the uh, nominations and all of the, the categories, and I've highlighted ones to talk about. Um, it you the, some. I'm going to talk about mainly like the things that are excluded and the things I'd like to question and the things that I think will be quite obvious to win. Um, so going from the best motion picture in the drama um, versus best motion picture in a musical or comedy, A Star Is Born has been put in best motion picture drama. Now, the producers are the people who decide what category the, um, the, the, their film is going to be in. I think it's an interesting move to put A Star Is Born in the drama category. Why? Um, I, I think it's... What would, you, think what it's, would you put it in? Musical or comedy. Because it, musical it, I mean, or comedy... I mean, and it's categorically not a comedy. It's categorically could be described as a musical. But the reason I would put it in there is because you can't... Like, do you remember when Get Out was put as a musical comedy? Like, yeah. this, the, the two awards the, like, the two awards are so ridiculous in their very nature, having them. It's just, it's just like in the Oscars, they've got 10 films for Best Picture. It's essentially adding that dimension to have more films talked about. I, I, do, um, think, I do think, though, if, if A Star Is Born was the kind of film that was leaning more towards the musical comedy spectrum and was going in for nominations at other events and other awards evenings kind of to the same award categories then yeah fine but a star is born will 100% this oscar season be leaning more towards drama or best picture nominations so i do think i, I think it's fallen in the right category at the golden globes yeah i think i'm i'm saying it's interesting because i think it could be in either i agree with you i think that I think that probably what they wanted to do is that they probably could have an easy win in the musical comedy. Having said that, films like The Favourite and Mary Poppins Returns and Vice are in the musical comedy, so it might be quite a contentious one to win. Um, but I think if Lady Gaga is going to win an Oscar or if like people behind the main crew are going to win an Oscar, um, putting it in the musical comedy um, um, award kind of cheapens the product. I think it massively, so, anyway. massively undermine, it would massively undermine what she and Bradley Cooper do in the film. Personally. Mm, I agree. Um, I'm interested that the favourite is in the musical comedy, but then I suppose that is billed it as is, a comedy. I think it is like a very, very off-the-wall black comedy, isn't it? Yeah, because the, that was what The Lobster was like. The Lobster was a very off-the-wall black lo comedy. The Lobster is a fucking hilarious film. And I know, it, I know it's got it. like I know it's got deep undertones, but it is I would say it's a comedy. Mm. I think so. Um, so the best motion picture drama and the best motion picture musical or comedy, the films are in all in both these categories, A Star Is Born, Black Panther, Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, If Beale Street Could Talk, they're moving on to the musical or comedy. Oh, a, lot, a lot of bees in there. There are a lot of bees in there. Beale Street, Klansman, Black Panther. Born. <laughs> uh, crazy Rich. There's so many bees. <laughs> yeah, good point. I never thought about that. The year of the bees. Um, in the musical... <laughs> 
<laughs> the year of the bees. Uh, in musical comedy, it's Crazy Rich Asians, The Favourite, Green Book, Mary Poppins Returns, and Vice. Now, I do you remember a couple of weeks ago on the podcast on when the pod? we were kept on saying we were going on the pod shout when out, we kept shout on saying film project. Indeed. When we kept on saying that we were going to go and see First Man and Bad Times at the El Royale. Because <laughs> we like, never saw they either will, of them. We never saw either of them. Because, and we were like, we were, exactly. Sorry, but we had, we had to, like, we had to try and work out a time to see them. We never did. But we were like, oh my God, we need to see these films because they're going to be in the award ceremony somewhere. Very little, um, apart from the First Man being nominated for... Um, Claire Foy's performance and then the music very little mentions in the Golden Globes at all so I would argue that as a snub um, although there are, I think the films that are there are, are all quite good interesting films um, going down the list um, we have I think for the best original song is for me the award that is going to be called the easiest I, I think if Shallow doesn't win from A Star Is Born then I don't n- what, are the n- other, what are the other options mate? All the Stars Black Panther Girl oh, in the that's movies. pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good, but I don't think it's. I I just think that shallow. And also, like, but, no, but mate, com- I I would rather. Well, shallows is a better song categorically. It's a better movie soundtrack song as well. However, after how bad Kendrick has been snubbed at the Grammys and other awards in terms of music in the last few years, considering how much he's put in and how much people adore him, I would, I kind of would like to see in this award, movie award season, Kendrick get some recognition for his soundtrack, because I do think the Black Panther soundtrack is fucking incredible, and it has everyone from Georgia Smith um, through to Anderson Pack and all sorts of great artists on it, um, but like fundamentally like great black hip-hop artists, and I think mm. that that does... I think it's fantastic. I still listen to it, and I think it deserves some more some more recognition than it's getting. Oh, I completely agree. I just think, I think that this is how it's going to go. I think. But what, were other, is, what were the other? What were the other ones? Oh yes, um, girl in the movies from Dumplin, Requiem for a Private War, a Private Raw, and Revelation from Boy Erased. I have not heard of any of those three other ones. Dumplin, Dumplin's a new film on Netflix about like a beauty queen pageant. Uh, with Jennifer Aniston. My girlfriend watched it. Shout out, Ollie. She watched it yesterday and I caught the end of it. And it it was quite sweet, to be fair. It was quite... It looked like it was quite a good film. I'm yet to go and watch the whole thing. Um, Well, it's got... It's it's another film that's got Drag Race cast. Yes, it's a very... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, finally... um, I've just a lot of uh, in the my the thing that I'm looking out for the one that I'm fully invested in is the best television series because three out of the um, five um, shows that are nominated I would love to see win Bodyguard from Netflix I just think it'd be really cool for Bodyguard uh, was on BBC BBC yes no Bodyguard was from Netflix the Bodyguard with Richard the Bodyguard Yes. Yeah. Netflix. So, so Netflix probably acquired it for the US, but it was a it's a BBC production, one hundred percent. So Netflix Netflix is taking the credit for it, and ne- I've I've looked this up. That must Netflix. be because it's a US awards evening. No, because Killing Eve is BBC America, which is my next one. Wait, what? It's, <sighs> it's very so. Netflix is if so if Bodyguard wins, executives from Netflix, not the BBC, are going to go up on stage. Really? Yeah, it's. Really but, confusing. But when the B, when, 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 when it was it. out, when it was out in the UK, it was like the BBC are breaking records for the best. Like you know, it smashed all those like TV viewing records, and it was the BBC that got the recognition for it. Yes, 
But is it another thing like End of the Fucking World where it's the BBC with Netflix money? And so Netflix, even though they have they have, they have a very big producer part of the of the concept, are they in fact going to are, are, are they the the purse strings behind the BBC and the BBC get the recognition apart from in the Golden Globes? Um, I'm not Bo- sure. Oh, Bodyguard, yeah, they- hold on. Bodyguard is a British television drama series created and written by Jeb Mercurio and produced by World Productions for the BBC. So who are World Productions? World Productions is a BBC television, a, a British television company. So, mate, it is categorically, it is a British TV show. So I'm dead curious to know why Netflix are getting the credit for that. I know it was very confusing. I had I looked it, looked it up and it was Netflix TV show The Bodyguard, um, and look scrolled down. It was yeah very confusing. Um, Killing Eve I've recently watched and I and I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's really really cool. I think the filming's really good. I like the fact it's got old British people in it. Like not old British people. It's got like oh, an old British. A good, love a good old British person. No, but so it's it's <laughs> an old British the... film with a sort of um, multicultural Technicolor Netflix vibe. It's like yeah, End yeah, of the yeah. Fucking World for BBC. Which I really yeah, I watched, watched a couple of episodes. I didn't really get into it personally. Oh, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then Pose, which is um, based on the New York drag ball scene in the 1980s, which is a surprise considering there's a lot of other shows that have not been put in the best television um, series. And but, not, not to be that guy, but what are the other nominations that you're not familiar with? Homecoming, in, Homecoming from Amazon and The yeah. Americans. Ah, uh, The Americans, what, season five? Uh, it says it yeah. the Americans effects on my notes. I'm going to say Americans effects on the. Uh, the, Ameri- anyway. the Americans is a really good show. Really, yeah. really good show. No, I no, can't I'm, speak I'm, for I'm, I'm saying that Pose is a comparatively. It wasn't watched by that many people. I, it, I, what's great about Pose is that it celebrates um, the trans community in film, which hasn't been done for a while. A lot of the directors and a lot of the cast are trans people, and that's not been seen in that vast quantities of trans people on TV. Like, you'd have, like, Orange is the New Black, we have Laverne Cox paving the way, but you don't have a lot of trans characters interacting, um, and that's quite a nice thing to see on TV. Um, so, yeah, that's my... Um, that is my um, Golden Globes roundup. Are there any um, other any other categories that are quite big? Um, I well, or have, the you ones just, I've, or have you just picked the ones that you're the most excited about? I picked the ones I'm most. Well, I think if we went through every single category, we'd be. Well, here are there any other November. TV categories? Yes, there are. There's. Um, have you got them to hand? Uh, there's a couple that I I thought you'd be interested in, which is like the best performance by an actor in a television series. Uh, Jason yeah. Bate, Jason Bateman from Ozark is nominated. What else? Um, uh, Richard Madden from Bodyguard is nominated. There's a couple of others. Um, Donald Glover. Atlanta has been horrifically um, under-nominated, but Donald Glover has been nominated for the best performance by an actor in a television series. Um what else have you got? A very English scandal um, has like got a lot of um, comedy um, awards, like with Hugh Grant being nominated, it being nominated for the um, limited series um, television awards. Um, Tandy Newton has been nominated for Westworld, which because she won the Emmy, I'm also thinking that she might win. But then, but then you can't. Is that for you can best, never tell. Is that for best actress in? A supporting role in a series, limited series or motion picture made for television. Um, Alex Bornstein is in the is in the category um, for the marvelous Mr. Miss Maisel, who won the Golden Globe last year. Um, Penelope Cruz, the assassination of Gianni Versace. That's um, been there's a quite a lot of um, the assassination of Gianni Versace. Although I don't think Darren Chris has been nominated for um, the main role. 
I lied. Darren Chris has been nominated. He was just under. He was just over highlighted um, in a different colour. So what's what's he? <laughs> nice. What's what's he? Is he best actor in TV series? He's best performance by an actor in a limited series or yeah, so motion picture made you, television. Do you mind just reading out the nominees for that? Uh, Antonio Banderas from Genius Picasso, Benedict Cumberbatch for Patrick Melrose, Daniel Brühl, the alienist. I like Daniel Brühl. Um, Darren Chris, the assassination of Jenny Versace, American Crime Story, and Hugh Grant, a very English scandal. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, there is. Uh, a, when, are, a... when are the Golden Globes? Oh, that's oh, that's a very good question, Jake. Um, hang on, I'm just going to look up. Um, we're the go-to place for movie and TV news, people, but we don't know where the fuck the events are. Well, I never know with the Golden Globes. I get so swept up in the nominations. <laughs> and then what happens, inevitably, is that I... Here we go. Um, 2019 Golden Globes take place on Sunday, January the 6th. It's soon. Oh, mate, we should uh, do a... Oh, is it a Sunday night? <gasps> we'd we'd both be dead at work the next day, but maybe we should do a stay up late and watch it party. Another party. Yeah, well, how, we're considering how fun parties. last week was. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, that's as much as I've got to say on the Golden Globes because if I keep on going into it, I can analyse and self-analyse pretty much every category description. Wicked, um, I, wicked. I, so, um, yeah. Um, if we've got any, any more talk about the Golden Globes, I suppose it's, I suppose that um, in a month's time we'll know what's happened. But like, if I've got any more tea, shade, gossip at all, I will let the listeners know. Fantastic. Um, I was going to say, before we go on to our big, big topic, we're doing the news slightly differently this week, people. Um, do you want to just give people the lowdown on the Kevin Smith situation? Kevin Smith or Kevin Hart? Oh, Kevin Hart. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> um, yes. I, now, this is... I've gone into quite a lot of detail with it, in, so I'll, um, I'll try and make it as brief as possible. Um, Kevin Hart was going to be hosting, was announced this week uh, that he, well, we're recording on Sunday, so the end of this week, on December 4th, that he was going to host the Oscars. Um, and December the 8th, um, he has he has denounced that he's going to be um, hosting the Oscars. This is because um, BuzzFeed's Michael Blackmon, um, he was trying to search for tweets that um, Kevin Hart had tried to come, had um, done in about 2010 and 2011. Um, I can read out some of the tweets. Um, oh, do you want to? I, I don't think... Oh, yeah, I thought about it and it was like, nah. I can read them out. Ba- basically, they- pe- basically, people, there is just a slew of tweets over like a six-month period, kind of before Kevin Hart hit his really big Hollywood break. And then it's kind of very well documented in public knowledge that Kevin Hart went from being quite a risque comedian um, who kind of pushed the boat out on kind of like black identity and stuff like that. But he he went from that to being a very watered down family comedian that just made big budget blockbuster films and, you know, hasn't really done anything. He's kind of, a lot of people refer to him as the black Adam Sandler, which yeah. I kind of get. It's like do loads of the same comedy performance over and over again, because if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But none of it's particularly like impressive and none of it 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 all treads the same water um but before that he had yeah just a a slew of tweets that could still be found when he was announced as the oscar host um just incredibly homophobic stuff uh just kind of using the terms gay and faggot and all this kind of stuff to like refer to people in a derogatory way quite a lot and also kind of making comments about like oh if my son ever comes home with a doll i'm gonna slap the that gay shit out of him and like saying horrible stuff like that um 
you know, in these situations, you you know, the, the one of the instinctive thoughts is, oh, was it a sign of the times? Mm, I don't really think so. 2011 is a bit late to be calling sign of the times on saying stuff like that in the amount that he was saying it. Um, it it's pretty horrible. Um, yeah, I, I have a big problem with it because unlike some of James Gunn's things, which were un... James, if we're going to compare, which I don't want to do, but I'm just going to compare no, let, the no, outrage. But, no, but let's, because they're two guys who are in the Hollywood industry who are being called out for tweets. But I instinctively thought about all this when it came out the other day, so I'd love to know what you think. Yeah, so I think that James Gunn is a person that um, tweeted terrible things, but as but as jokes for comedy um, that he apologised for immediately. The difference with the Kevin Hart situation is he tweeted things um, when he was still um, relatively famous. Um, he wasn't... Um, he, he, anyway, that doesn't really matter, but he tweeted these things. And as, as, it, as, ins- as if they're general thoughts and feelings, not just things said in the moment for comedy, comedic effect. Yes, exactly. They're things that are, I think, his personal views. And I think that... He ha- he does have a real problem with these kind of stuff, and it's like and and he and he does these in his tweets. There's some there's um in a 2010 and 10 um comedy special he said this. One of my biggest fears is my son growing up and being gay. That's a fear. Keep in mind I'm not homophobic. I have nothing against people, gay people. Be happy. Do what you want to do. But me being a heterosexual male, if I can prevent my son from being gay, I will. Now I think that. Kind of get kind of breaks down what I think about this because that is not that's in a comedy sketch sketch that's not comedy that's just stating facts like the, in his in his own mind that's see, him stating facts in his own mind. See, it is it, it it will be a case of gross miseducation where he has surrounded himself and grown up with peers who think it's acceptable to say that kind of stuff. Now, a, a large amount of adults nowadays can probably think back to a time when the term gay was used more colloquially at school. Like, I know you can probably think back to times when saying things like, oh, stop it, that's gay, and stuff like that, was kind of like a throwaway term. And it yeah. wasn't necessarily that in the playground you would be saying that you'd be inferring that person is gay and I'm not happy with that. It was just a word that was used. Um, it definitely was when I was growing up. It was, um, yeah. And some of the comments and critiques that I've seen from other kind of um, black actors and comedians. They haven't been defending it when they... Is this, Nick, of... is this Nick Cannon? I don't know. I can't remember. Okay. But I was, scro- I, was, I was deep in the Twitter scroll looking at people's responses to this and there wasn't... None of his kind of black, male black peers um, were kind of defending him. But what they were kind of saying was what you're seeing and in the time he was saying this stuff is quite endemic of a certain proportion of black African like African American males in the US. Um it, it the these are beliefs and terms that are just thrown around and aren't used appropriately and they're men that haven't been properly educated and kind of the impact of what they're saying and, you know, how all of this stuff actually works. Um, I don't think it's an excuse, but it is, for me, it's just more a through-the-looking-glass moment into seeing how there's still a large amount of dissociated people in America that aren't properly grappling with these issues. Mm. Um, Um, Yeah. 
I think that Kevin Hart is one of these people who has created a career on being funny, but being also quite masculine behind his funny. Yeah. Like all of his, all of his things. He's got, a, he's his... got a real front, hasn't he? Yeah, well, if you see, if you look at his Instagram, I followed Kevin. I stopped following Kevin Hart on Instagram because I got just got sick of him posting these not nothing funny, all just all just um, photos of him in the gym and like life life memos and etc. About like try harder, like etc. And it's all these like platitudes of what what I think is toxic masculinity. Now people can argue whether that's what Kevin Hart's doing. That's how I see it. But when he does things like this. Um, what was that in the background? <laughs> no, mate, I don't know. A pop-up, a pop-up. <laughs> um, yes, but when um, when you, you see him say things like this, I think it just speaks to that massive toxic masculinity complex where he he as an uber male has to be more masculine and is, and is getting the jobs. I, yeah. oh, it's hard, it's hard. I, I, um, think, I, th- I think it's interesting, well, um, where I fall on it, should he be chastised and thrown out of Hollywood like Kevin Spacey? I don't think so. Should this be a cautionary tale that people can learn from and the media coverage will help to raise awareness? I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you on the whole toxic masculinity thing, but I also kind of think if, if nothing like that's been said for seven years, we can't deny the man a chance to improve. Um, and even if there is residual stuff there that hasn't really been resolved, maybe won't even be resolved after it coming up now, um it, it, again it comes back to that like how far do we punish people for the crimes of years ago correct um i think there is a certain amount of that in this story i think that kevin hart is still to blame for what he said because it Completely. is actually outrageous but um i talked about earlier about buzzfeed's but michael blackmon um apparently there's an episode where after kevin hart Got Evan after Kevin Hart got announced as the Oscar host, he received a tip off saying that a journalist was um, trying to investigate him. And Michael Blackmon, literally, the literally as soon as um, Kevin Hart was announced as the person um, person who's going to be hosting the Oscars, Michael Blackmon went onto his Twitter and tried to find dirt. So that is a terrible state of affairs to be in, where immediately. When a when a comedian is getting to the peak of his career, because the Oscars for a comedian is probably one of their their peaks of their careers, Um, and for them to reach the peak of their career and someone looking to to drag him back down, that shouldn't happen. However, Kevin Hart, I think, deserves the the the. I don't know if he deserves the deserves the complete hostility, but he deserves to be questioned for his remarks. Um, More importantly. Well, actually, like much less more important than him, him <laughs> learning from this. Um, who do you want to host the Oscars? Wow. My money is on The Rock. Why the fuck would you not get The Rock to host the Oscars? He's not got any nominations this year. Well, we don't know that, but he probably won't have any nominations this year. And he has a whole slew of Disney songs that he can fucking sing in the show. Mm, yeah, it's very true. Um, I've looked at the rumour mill, which, which, which is... Um, what 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 Oscar hosts have been sort of like talked about on Twitter since this the whole thing has happened? Um, mainly, Daily Show Trevor Noah has been mentioned. Um, oh, I wouldn't be that. No, I know, I know, I'd be really unexcited to see that. Captain Justin Timberlake. PC. Justin Timberlake. JT, I could be down um, with. Yep. Uh, Tiffany Haddish and Maya Rudolph. Interestingly, that the, the, the this I'm reading out is majoritively all men, and the and the women on the on it are groups, just for some unknown reason. Has Amy um, Poehler ever done it? 
do you want it? Oh, Amy Poehler, not Amy Schumer. Um, no, she's never done it. Oh, that'll be fun if they did a Amy Poehler... Um, what's the other name of the Tina Fey um, Oscars because they were so good at the Golden Globes um, even but, you're doing it Will even you're grouping the women together and not standing by the fact that one of them could do it on their own Boo. no they can't they can't do it they can do it on their own they just established a partnership <laughs> uh, that's not that's n- toxic masculinity that. at work on the 52 week film project disgusting well, we, that's disgusting if, well if we call each other out we, <laughs> the, the, the podcast is in a disastrous state um and then lastly, but not least, um, I think this is probably just just the gays going crazy. Um, and I and I, I say that with so much love. Uh, RuPaul has been very heavily um, like plugged to do it. Now, is he mainstream I, enough to do it? Also, no, also, I think no disrespect to him because I love him. I think he's hilarious, but I don't really want the Oscars to become the RuPaul show. I would I would say they wouldn't it wouldn't be bad show. I think it would I think that I think it would be quite cool to see what he did with it. However, I think his platform isn't the Oscars. I think and I hope this happens in the future that he's going to host the Emmys because RuPaul has now won best reality TV host for the last 3 years. He's won in the reality TV show category. He's now like broken boundaries in that. Like that is a perfect show to host. Um, for RuPaul hosting. I don't think the Oscars is yet his gig. No, I don't I think... Agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, well, we shall see. I also thought Dave Chappelle could be pretty good. Oh, Dave Chappelle could be great. That's who I yeah, actually thought good. they would go to originally. I don't know, because he's had such a monumental year in terms of his, his Netflix specials. I'm not going to lie. Oh, the last couple of Oscars um, hosts, I've just been a bit generally disappointed. What was last year? Um... Oh, I can't even remember. Was it Chris Rock? Oh, was it was that... something boring, wasn't it? Yeah, because Chris Rock, like, I used to love Chris Rock, but now he um, he just wasn't the same, um, really. Jimmy Kimmel. Oh, yeah, boring. Yeah, I like I... Jimmy Kimmel, but he wasn't. he's not an interesting choice to host I, the Oscars. I liked it when Seth MacFarlane did it, like, seven years ago and called oh, out Harvey, so Harvey Weinstein on stage. Let's get yeah. Seth MacFarlane back. He is single-handedly responsible for calling out the bullshit in the room. Yeah. And then the, the everyone... reason I reckon the reason he's never hosted it again is because he his jokes were pushing the boat out too far and the community don't think it's fair. Well, if you saw the responses um the next day like on the Ellen show and all the talk shows and etc, all of the questions that were being asked were did Seth MacFarlane go too far? And it was like, no, no, he didn't go too far. He just was not being pretentious and licking the licking the like the the film stars' asses. I have um, heard that. Really nice I have expression. heard that a few times. I don't know if it's bollocks or not, but um, obviously he's done Family Guy and it was brilliant. Um, and it's kind of on an up wave now as a series. It had a few shit seasons, uh, really uncreative, but now it's getting really good again. But he's made a lot of he's made a lot of other bollocks. He tried to do like a Star Wars TV series. He did that Million Ways to Die in the West. However. The industry talk seems to be that, like, Seth MacFarlane is one of the most real people around and there's a hell of a lot of respect for him in the celeb community of people that know they haven't done anything wrong. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I, I would I would love to see him host again. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> let's, let's get on to fucking 15-minute news section we said before recording this. <laughs> what, wait, 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 um, we're nearly half an hour in, mate. Oh, that's gone well. Now... Big news of the week. We finally had a name confirmation and trailer for the new Avengers movie. It's like um, buses. You look, you wait for them for ages and they both come at once. The, the name and the trailer. 
terrible analogy. But anyway, <laughs> Avengers, the new the 2019 Shut Avengers up. film, the follow-up to Infinity War, is going to be called Avengers Endgame. There's probably not much point in me telling you that because you're probably all completely aware of it. Um, as the trailer in 24 hours amassed 289 million views it is the far it is the most watched trailer of all time um it is the fastest it is like the most views a trailer's ever got in 24 hours uh previously it was infinity war and we discussed this a couple of weeks back because the lion king the new lion king trailer got 224 it came very close to beating it um but this one did 289 million in 24 hours now I thought this was bollocks because when I went on YouTube to watch the trailer this morning, um, the one that I clicked on, which said Marvel Studios and everything, was 1.4 million views. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, shit, maybe this has been really poorly received because I haven't really like stuck mm. my head out of the sand and looked at all of the stuff about it until today. Um, but God knows what I was watching because it is, again, most watched trailer of all time. Um, what did you think of it, mate? I liked it. I liked it. I just, I, it didn't for me have the same gravitas as an, as the Avengers three trailer had. Yeah. I liked all the individual beats, but like the Avengers three trailer was so massive and it felt like there was p aliens colliding and humans colliding. And it was, it felt on a huge scale. Whereas this one, it does feel like a regrouping. And I do feel like a lot of the shots they've shown are from the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie because they do not want to spoil anything. Yeah. Um, like a lot of it is shot in um, like the Avengers headquarters where they're regrouping um, or Tony Stark on the ship. A lot of it's shot what I would assume would be early in the early in the movie. Yeah. Um, and then you have clip it from sort of later on. My most exciting bit is emo Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, probably. Um, he looks odd and bizarre, but I love that he's got a what, samurai what, sword now. Well, you, he looks like, he looks like, do you know what he is now? This is testing your comic uh, knowledge. Is it Ronan? Yeah, so he, he... he Hawkeye is back in this film. Jeremy Renner's back in this film. Um, oh, Jeremy Renner, we missed you, mate. We still think Tag was a brilliant film, even if last week we did kind of decide we rated it way too highly. Um... <laughs> He's back, but he is transformed into his Ronin character, which is like a Hawkeye that is in Japan and has fucking samurai swords, all sorts of shit. Um, I think that's great move because I've always found his Hawkeye quite boring. Um, Correct. I've always thought him and Black Widow are the least interesting characters in the Avengers films. Um, Ant-Man's back and is clearly playing a big role. Um, well, Ant-Man's back um, and is clearly playing a big role, but he was annihilated at the end of... Um, Avengers, uh, no, wrong. Ant Man and the Wasp. Um, he was he was turned into dust. So that's the e the end credit se scene. So the fact that th the end of the trailer said, um, "Is that archive footage?" and he said, "And um, Black Widow says, no, it's the door." Suggests that somehow Scott Lang has been able to survive what's obviously happened to him. He's what, not, he's not. Are we assuming that Captain Marvel links with Ant Man? Oh, I lie. Sorry, Scott Lang isn't turned into dust. He's left in the quantum zone or the yes, quantum realm. Yes, he's trapped in the quantum realm. Yes, yes that, I lie. That is, that I lie. Which Everyone one, else is annihilated. One would assume that Captain Marvel's going to be his way back. Um, but Captain Ugh. Marvel was relatively absent from this trailer. I'm assuming they're trying not to show anything about her involvement in this because it would essentially disrupt the plot of the new film coming out in March, wouldn't it? 
And if, also, I think they they released a Captain Marvel trailer very near to the Avengers trailer. Yeah, um, they did. The, the second one. So I think it would be just like having her in both trailers would be a bit confusing um, because it's two different parts of her timeline. You haven't even seen the first film yet. Yeah, um, yeah, true. You also see in this trailer, you see um, that Thanos is still living in his little farmland area um, and he's hung up all of his battle armor. That's quite a creepy shot where you can see all of his armour hung up in the field and he's like, you see his hand walking along feeling all the corn. Um, so he's kind of going back to his grassroots. Mm, that's very true. Um, in that scene, if you, you, you'll blink and you miss it, um, the Infinity Gauntlet is looking really, really, really beat up. Um, it looks like it's completely, like, almost broken. Um, this could mean, I suppose, one of two, th- two things, which is... Um, the imp- like it, it might not be workable anymore like it's a one-shot thing like it's done and they might have to find another way around it or the, it could mean that the infinity stones um because they're not contained properly um could start rebelling um against against their master which is what i'm kind of leaning towards i think the i think my theory which i think i've talked about on the podcast before is that the only um the, the only gem were in the avengers 3 where there was not it was not very clear what what the powers of it were was the soul gem um which is the one that gamora had to die for um every other power was shown in a scene from the other gems like with the reality one you see reality breaking up with the soul one you don't actually understand what it does apart from that thanos needs it to complete the set so i think it'll be very interesting to see um, what if that's going to be the crux of it? If the, if the soul gem is going to be in any way um, a way that Thanos is going to be beaten? Yeah, definitely. Um, in slightly funnier news of this Avengers Endgame announcement, do you know about the man called a guy in ch- a guy in the chair, the Twitter account? No. So basically, there is a man out there who a couple of years ago purchased the web URL. Um, www.avengersendgame.com um, <laughs> and now is holding the URL ransom and demanding two free tickets to the Avengers Endgame premiere in return for the rights to use the URL. <laughs> um, so, so Marvel have yet to respond as to whether this is something that they actually even care about or whether it's like they, they're not going to give a shit or whether they're actually going to find it so funny that they give them the ticket. Um, but right now, if you go on www.avengersendgamemovie.com um, or www.avengersendgame.com, he owns two URLs. Um, if you click on them, it automatically redirects you to 20th Century Fox's Deadpool movie page, where it's currently promoting the new Once Upon a Deadpool film. Um, <laughs> and he's basically said that he's going to keep it doing that until he gets a response from Marvel, which as of today is yet to come. That's genius. Uh, but it is, oh, it's fucking hilarious. Um but he was just like, he just said, I'm proud to say that I bought them both before anyone on the internet theorised that Endgame was the title. Since then, I've just been hanging back, waiting for the title release to confirm it. When I saw the trailer this morning, I got goosebumps. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine not knowing that that's going to be... Ha- he might, he's going to be rich. He's going to be absolutely I rich. Wanna know, I want to know what else that guy has bought the URLs to, because I feel like once you get a taste of victory, 
he's probably buying URLs left, right, and center in the hopes that he can do the same thing. Exactly. It's like horse racing. Like, if you win big at horse racing, it's such a stupid sport that you never know what horse is going to win. It's complete luck. Um, and so I think he's going to do the exact same thing with other projects and just lose all of the money he makes from this paycheck. But bless him. He, that's a very funny thing he's done, and he's done a good job. Sorry, that sounded patronizing. That yeah. did sound incredibly patronizing. <laughs> well done, a guy in the chair. Yep. Um, Right, now, let's finally get on to movie reviews. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Still don't have a jingle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> movie review one. We went to another screen unseen. This was a while ago now. This was maybe a couple of weeks, but we've been so wrapped up with the party episode that we didn't get around to kind of giving you guys a proper review of it. But that doesn't really matter because as it was a screen unseen, the film has only just come out in cinemas for you regular joes to go and watch with your hard earned cash um sorry to bother you is the directorial debut of boots riley now will do you have any idea who boots riley is um i know i know of him and i've looked it up and he was in the the, the band the coop the coup um, the coup the coup. oh is it the coup yeah <laughs> of course it's the coup because they're, no... they're politically charged they're a coup mate they're not holding like people ransom coup. for their ideas no not like a chicken coop that's c-o-o-p Ah, not C O U P. I read it as the coop, and so I was like, "Ooh, how interesting!" He's like, <laughs> is he saying like we're in this box? We're all society. chickens, and we're, we're all, all we're in all, a factory, exactly. and <laughs> we're in this capitalist construct world where we're all chickens, just trapped in a box. Anyway, well, mate, um, I tell you what, the way this film went, that's probably a sequel, isn't it? Everyone becomes correct. fucking chickens. We'll get onto that. <laughs> We will definitely get onto that. Um, do you want to? I so Boots Riley, tell me more. So he was the lead vocalist of the Coup, or still kind of is. Um, they were a politically charged hip hop group, and they kind of associated with acts like Rage Against the Machine, um, that kind of like early noughties sort of fuck the establishment kind of sound, right, um, yeah. which spread across kind of like garage rock and hip hop. Um, it was quite a cool. Cool time to be alive, so I've been told. Um, It is his first film. Now, this guy is a fucking stylish motherfucker. Have you seen pictures of him? Oh, yeah. I've I've been been looking today. He's got like an afro. He's got sort of like chops, like mutton chop beard. He wears the flashiest suits. He looks like something out of some 70s cop, buddy cop drama. Oh, he looks like the nice guys. He looks like that film, The Nice Guys, with Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling. Um, or Black Klansman, like those kinds of outfits, not the Klansman, the the cops. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he is, yeah, very, very cool guy. This is the first film he's come out with. He, I don't know where he came up with the idea for this, but it's... Well, it, I, do you want to know? I, I, I was looking at it, I was like, how on earth did he get the idea for this? And he was like, it's based on my real life experience at a call centre. What?! Have you really? S- did you- yes, yes. He was like, well, when I was working at this um, telemarketing company, I just had the idea for this film. And I was like, wow, your call centre must have been very exciting. Shit, <laughs> Jesus. Or, yeah, or, or something, or maybe he, maybe if it's based on his real thing, maybe he's telling us that there actually are... Actually, I'm not going to spoil it yet. I'm going to leave it to right. later. So, so the 30-second <laughs> summary of this film is Lakeith Stanfield plays Cassius Cash Green, who is a down-on-his-luck young American who has a beautiful girlfriend, directed, well, played by Tessa Thompson, who <sighs> is kind of the woman of the episode, man, because she also plays the girlfriend of the lead character in Creed 2, which we'll talk about 
in a bit. Well, Tessa um, Thompson, briefly, briefly, Tessa Thompson has nailed it in terms of acting roles. She's been Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok. She's in Westworld. She's been in Veronica Mars. Like every, every like seminal, like she's done a superhero film. She's done um, like politically charged films. She's been in Creed, which is like a huge genre. Like she's smashing it recently. She, anyway, um, she's also dating Janelle Monet. <gasps> which is just like no. It's just like instant cool points. Like, oh, I love her. She's a yeah. She's she's a cool chick. Um, so Tessa Thompson's playing Cassius's girlfriend. She's called Detroit. She's an artist, um, and they essentially find their way into a telemarketing role at a place called Regal View, um, where Cash finds out very quickly from Danny Glover, who's playing one of his colleagues. Great, great little side bit from Danny Glover. Um, that he will only really get sales with the shit that they're selling if he uses his white voice. Now, Cash's white voice, which is dubbed over Lakeith Stanfield in the film, um, is the hilarious, like the whitest, whiter than white voice of David Cross. Um, David Cross from Arrested Development. Um, what else has he been in? He's been he was in Small Soldiers like a long, long time ago, but he is like that archetypal nerdy like forty year old virgin style white guy, um, yes. and you will know you will recognise his voice, um, but you won't necessarily know where from. Uh, but everything that he says is priceless. And David Cross himself, as kind of like a comedic actor, his voice is very much his currency. Like most things, most roles that you watch him in, it's not really him that's making the character funny. It's his voice that is adding all of that flavour to it. 100%. Um, so he's a perfect actor to use for this. Um, you also have Patton Oswalt in there as one of Cash's colleagues' voice, white voices. Um, Patton Oswalt being the guy who voices Happy the Horse in the Netflix series um, who again is another incredibly white, incredibly incredibly white voice um, but this film, it starts off kind of as a sort of a bit zany comedy, you've got all these strange little bits that kind of remind me of like strange Rick and Morty moments where they don't really happen for any particular reason yeah, but they're just like quite artistic and funny. So like, Terry Crews is in the film, and there's a bit in it where he's getting stressed out while he's fixing his car, and he's stressed out about paying the rent, and he's explaining this to Cash and Detroit, and he says like, "Oh, all of this is making my diabetes act up," and then he like takes this like giant golden Jesus crucifix from his neck, like this giant gold chain, and like turns Jesus's head and this little pill pops out the bottom and he eats it like weird shit like that like there's a bit where um Cash goes to a club with his friend and this is a little bit of a satirical play on like the trappings of money and how like the wealthy parts of the club aren't really all they seem but there's a VIP room um and his Cash's friend says to him oh yeah like I know the password the password is upscale elegance and so Cash goes in and uses the password and he sits down in it and it's like this really brief scene where it's like this fucking tiny room and he tries to sit down and enjoy himself but everyone's like bumping into him and he's spilling his drink over his shirt and it's just like, it's miserable, it's not fun at all. But he comes back out and he, the first thing he says to his friend is like, yo, that's some baller shit. Like, and it, it's yeah. just like that like dissociated 
what are we doing as a society and why do we care about money situation that America's got. Um, there's even, there's a bit, there's, there, there are just some bits that like seemingly have absolutely no purpose and don't, they're not really kind of commentary like those bits, but there's a bit where Cash is on the phone in the office trying to persuade someone to buy something and behind him the printer room is like malfunctioning and all of a sudden the printer is like throwing out shit tons of paper and there are these two guys in there that are trying to stop it and every the scene behind cash is just getting more and more chaotic it's yet, carnage yeah yet, yet no one cares and everyone's like not aware of it um it's just very off the wall it's very it very cool. funny but like i was sat in the screen unseen surrounded by um like elderly couples because it seems to be a thing that screen unseens attract an elderly demographic um which worked a treat for the old man and the gun oh, yeah for the old um, man and the gun it was perfect yeah. when but when when sorry to bother you came up on the screen i was kind of like i was a bit late and i got in and sort of came up i was sort of like fuck yes like i really wanted it to be this but other people around me were sort of murmuring and then there's like Early on in the film, there's like a few jokes that kind of like are definitely aimed at millennials that elderly people wouldn't quite get. And like around me, there was a bit of fidgeting. There was a few murmuring. So I think a few people actually left. Um, this definitely wasn't the film for them. Um, but if you're younger and you're kind of up to date with everything going on in our cultural zeitgeist, this is this is a very, very on-the-money film. Yeah, 100%. I... I... I love this film and hated it in equal measure. Like it, it makes you feel constantly uncomfortable, whether it's the humor or if it's the darkness or if it's just scenes that the editing. Sometimes scenes go on for too long, um, or, and then get get briefly cut in other scenes where you miss things. Um, one of my favorite parts of the film was the use of like the media, um, the, the the media being on a television screen near. They've got programs like I can't remember the name of the program. What's it? What's the name uh, of the? There's, there's there's a program called I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me. That one, yes. I Got the Shit Kicked Out of Me, which is essentially just the idea of reality TV show people going on to game shows and just getting completely de degraded um, for the audience's entertainment. And it literally is just people being beat beat up with different, like, in different scenarios. But whatever will happen, they'll get beat up and humiliated. That was quite an interesting take, but it, it just... It just it's quite nice that it's it's not a big major part of the film. It just features in sort of small pop up bits. Um, I that's what I like the attention to detail where Boots Riley can have that interesting fun thing on the side, but then also tell a narrative story with his with his main things. It creates a world behind it, um, yeah, which is great. But there were also I was I was really I thought it was really inspiring the way he used so many different techniques in so many different um, scenes. Like there's a scene where Cash, I mean, I, I, I'm assuming we're, we're, we're discussing this on the basis that people have watched this film. So, like, yep. I'm not going to hold back on spoilers or whatever. I'm not going to explain the story because people have watched it. But the scene where um, Cash and Detroit are making love um, after he'd just become, he's just become a power caller and he's making all this money. And it's really clever because it's like they're kissing on the bed and then around them, his tiny little garage room is 
changing and like lamps are kind of like almost in sort of like a stop motion way like the lamps are like breaking apart and new lamps are coming up like flowers like more expensive ones and the tv is like breaking and then like becoming an even bigger one and then eventually it ends up with them in like a completely new apartment it's like a penthouse suite on this really fancy road but it was just a really interesting way of like okay so the plot is now Cash has now made loads of money so he can now afford an expensive car, an expensive flat and all this kind of stuff. But how do we not do the uh, like the typical montage that a film will do of him going to the dealership to buy a really expensive car and then him, you know, shaking hands to buy his expensive flat? How do we do it in an, in, like an, in an, an inventive way? Um, exactly. I love that. I also love the scene where, like, after everything takes a really dark turn, which is kind of when he goes to the big party of Steve Lift and you start to realise that everything's a bit austere and not everything's quite right. Um, the bit where he's in his office and Steve Lift is trying to explain to him his fucked up process for Equisapien workforce. Um, I loved the fact that the video, the kind of, like, explainer video is, like... Um, it's kind of like Wallace and Gromit characters. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like really crudely done. Um, so it was uncom. It was using the same technique as like Ardman animations would, but it was also deliberately done in a really bad way, um, which I just thought was really clever. Um, and it really got the point across that it, it fit the vibe of how you were supposed to be feeling when you were watching this really horrific kind of scene unfold where he discovers the Equisapiens. Uh, side note, I fucking love the fact that... The... <laughs> Hang on, we're going to need to unpack that. Where he discovers the Equisapiens no, but, and... <laughs> but side note on the Equisapien discovery, right? Um, before discussing, like that turn in the film and how that made you feel. Isn't it fucking brilliant that the main Equisapien is voiced by Forrest Whitaker? I know. And, um, you, you, and you knew it as well. Like when, so this is the scene in the film where it went for me from being like a slightly zany comedy using some interesting elements and satirical kind of context. It went from being that kind of sort of funny look, funny off the wall look at our society to being like this is just the, the most ridiculous thing I think I've ever seen when Cash goes to the loo and discovers the giant horsemen with massive horse cocks and one of them is voiced by Forrest Whitaker yes um how do you think because I remember when we watched this film um, we called up um, immediately after we watched it in different screenings we called up immediately afterwards and we both were traumatised by that last third act of the film because it's deep it was deeply upsetting but yet deeply farcical um, where where are you now on it do you think it's stupid do you think it's terrible do you think that it's like some of the best cinema ever the like, second right so i watched it again today on my laptop and it, it didn't have the same impact as it did the first time because i knew what was coming what that allowed though was for me to kind of view the plot of the final act of the film and see whether it really was as unnerving the second time round as it was when we saw it in the cinema. It wasn't. It was actually funnier, and I think watching it twice kind of allowed me to enjoy the farce of it more because I knew what was coming and really laugh at it. Um, tonally in the cinema, when you don't know it's coming, the film, it's going down a bit of a depressing route anyway, 
and then it takes such a like body horror route that you kind of don't really know what to do with yourself and once you discover the horsemen i don't know about you but in the cinema i was kind of sat there thinking right okay for the first time since we've done started doing this podcast i've been sat here genuinely having no idea where a film is about to go correct i i i don't think there's any film that we've watched in this in our time podcasting where i've sat in the cinema and for that late into a film for right for i kind of had this one figured out really really don't and that was a really really enjoyable feeling yeah that I was felt that, I... that that felt so fresh and that was that was a feeling that i just haven't really felt this year we've no, watched I... we've watched a lot of great films but we haven't watched one that's genuinely shocked us 100%. It's it's a reveal that um I liken to like the layer cake reveal or the um Shawshank not Shawshank Redemption. What's the one Shutter's Island? I always get those two films confused even though they're not like each other at all. Um <laughs> like um like all of those stuff where you just generally don't expect it to come. And this one is so ridiculous, but then it I think the third act of the film like plays up to that farce. But because it's so shocking, I think you're right. Like in the cinema, the the laughs were pretty consistent for about two thirds of the way through with the film. And the last third, the laughs just died because everyone was feeling very uncomfortable and very shocked. And I remember the last shot of the film, the last shot of the film is that every, the right is wrong. Everything is kind of worked out for the best for everyone. And then the last shot of the film is, um, is him turning into an Aquasapien. Um, not the last shot before their end, tra- end credits seek trailer, which is um, end credit scene, which is fantastic. But I remember in the cinema, Everyone was shouting. I, the whole cinema screen just started shouting, no, no, because everyone was so hor- horrified by what was happening. It was, such I, a, I ag- it was such a black mirror fuck you when he like sneezes right at the end and then he, he looks around and he's got like the horse nostrils. Oh, it's awful. It's awful. But it's also also so like it's a it's a shock followed by like a laugh. Like, of course, that was going to happen. Like it was like, oh, it's what? I, I didn't know how I'd be able to talk about this film on, on this podcast today because a lot of it for me is just pure emotion, not about the trailer. Like all of it makes me feel either hilariously giddy with laughter or shocked and quite horrified. And because I've not seen it again, I've still not resolved that in my head. Yeah. And that, yeah. But I also think it does a good job with the trailer of um, the trailer really got people hooked in for this film, or at least it did for me. Um, but it got me hooked in on more of a like I was sitting down thinking I was going to be watching sort of an alternative Wolf of Wall Street style film. And it wasn't that like it, it is absolutely not that. No, exactly. Um, and it and focuses on the telemarketing part of it, which I think the telemarketing part of it takes a sidestep for some of the greater political issues later on um, about selling yourself and about what that what that means. Um, I think that's quite an interesting turn because I mean, I mean, the film is sold as a telemarketing film, and it's just not that. Like it, it starts as it, and it doesn't finish the film being a telemarketing film. Except for the fact that right at the end of the film, before he turns into an Equisapien, when he's talking to his friend. Um, he does make it, I picked this up the second time around this afternoon. He, he does say like, oh, you know, like I've got this other car that will treat me perfectly fine until I get back to work at Regal View. And I found that a bit weird because it was like, you've gone through all of this shit and largely the company that you've been working for has been responsible for it. 
And right at the end of the film, you're talking about going back to work for them. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. That, it is that, odd. That, that just seemed like a bit of a, a misstep for me, but it wasn't a big one. Mm. Um, did you did you have a best moment? I know I'm jumping ahead of the best description and savage critic quote awards, but like, is there a favourite bit for you? Yes. Um, the there's well, there's two. It was very hard to choose them because I liked like it's very hard to pick a lot of moments. Um, my th- I think. My favourite moment is the elevator scene. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> I've it's got the same best moment. You mean with um, Diana Debo Sherry? Yes. And also the elevator voice provided by... I don't know. Rosario Dawson, doing oh. a better job than she does for the whole of Sin City. Yes, very true, very true. Now, I, I thought that the um, the character Kate Burlamp plays, uh, Diana Debocheri. Oh, she's uh, wonderful. Doesn't that, doesn't that spell debauchery? Um, <laughs> she is hilarious. She's like this like nutty HR woman that's brought into the telemarketing team to kind of keep the company morale up, even though they're horrendously underpaid and there's not really any kind of staff welfare at all. Um and she is just like, she's something else. She is like, she speaks at this rate of knots like she's some kind of boot camp um, drill sergeant. And this scene in the elevator, my God, where she's keying in the fucking pin code. Oh, it's hilarious. And it lasts for about, it, I, I, I timed it this time, it lasts for about 45 seconds. So like 45 seconds of this film is just her just spamming her hand on this pin thing in the elevator, not even doing it in any order, just to like get the code in. Um, and she says something else. She says like she 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 says um, before they get in the elevator, oh, I would be remiss if I did not compliment your pink shirt. It's um, it's 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 very looks very good on you. It's actually very sexy. Um, did you know that thirty five uh, men who wear pink shirts to work are thirty five percent more likely to start a franchise? <laughs> it's just like the shit she says, man. It's ridiculous. She reminds me of a American, um, like regional manager version of Siobhan Sharp, um, in twenty twelve. <laughs> she's wonderful like just just all the pretense and all the rubbish like i i loved it the other favorite moment that i have is probably the first speech that she does as well um when she's when she's talking about like what teamwork is and about and just in this american drawl it's wonderful (laughs) and she's like she's like we're we're a team now you lean on me i lean on you we keep leaning like this that's synergy (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's so good and then they're like they're like does this mean we get paid more and she's like "Uh, no but many people would argue that social currency is more important nowadays but don't take it from me take it from the media take it from digital take it from youtube that's That's my favorite bit that bit is my favorite bit it's just the the list it's so fast she said it so fast and so well it's great i Um, love it do you want to go on to best description of most yeah mate what was your best description of sorry to bother you um, it's by a, um, a not well-known film critic at all, uh, Mark Commode. Oh, um, from, <laughs> what a surprise! I know, from the Observer UK. Um, Pinballing frenetically between amusement, absurdity and anger, this is an unruly piece which takes pointed pot shots at coercive capitalism before galloping toward an impressive unhinged third act. He just has a way with words. And it's he why does. I love him. He and does. on a side note, because I've, I've done a couple of side notes this episode, on a side note, after 10 years of producing fantastic film-related content, Uncut with Mark Commode, his, um, his YouTube extra show, is being not cancelled. I'm 
gutted. That was the most that was the most confusing sentence. You just said it's being not cancelled. It's being cancelled. I just I I paused. I didn't mean to say not. Um, it's being cancelled. But you you recognised that you said not before cancelled and then didn't follow it up by saying it no. It doesn't no, matter, no. Jake. Doesn't matter. It's being cancelled. It's being right. cancelled. Okay. Well, you know, I, what a shame. <laughs> oh, Jake, you you don't know the stuff, the hours he puts into it, the the guests he has on. Well, well, fantastic... well, well, I've only just I've only just recovered from thinking it's not cancelled. <laughs> yeah, uh, anyway, my best description for Sorry to Bother You came from James Berardinelli of Real Views. He said, Sorry to Bother You is a bold, messy scattershot. Uh, qualities that are definitely, infinitely pre- uh, preferable to the bland, generic safety preferred by many of today's box office entries. It is. Fair. It takes a lot of creative risks and it's just very, very interesting because of them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Most Savage. I wonder if we have the same one, because this one's stuck out to me. I don't know if it's stuck, stuck out to you. Is it from our favourite um, reviewing um, site? Uh, well, No, just tell me what yours is. It's Scott Marks from the San Diego Reader. No, I didn't. I do love a bit ah. of Scott. I do love a bit of Scotty though. He does love yeah. to hate on things. Oh, Scotty! Um, right, this is this is what he says. Um, Telemarketers as targets from which satire flows eternal were spigotted about the same time as mall cops, and that's not all. This jammed scun. Oh my god! And that's not all. This jammed scattergun approach to comedy has in common with a terminally dopey Paul Blart from Paul Blart's Mall Cop. Oh, I don't think that's fair. It's not fair at all. Also, I, just, I, also I don't he, understand how you can used, fare the two films. Also, he referenced it in a scatter terminology, which James Berardinelli at Real Views already did to praise the film. So, you know, I haven't got any time for you this week, Scott Marks. Scott, go back to where you belong. The right, write Reader. some better burns. Um, yeah. My most savage <laughs> quote was from Kyle Smith of the National Review. And he says, I'm sorry, I bothered. The comedy is not just lame, it's ringing with lameness wearing out trite gags that were stale to begin with. I imagine him as quite a highbrow person who didn't get this film. Like, you can imagine that in your screening, in your screening where there was loads of old people, um, that would be with a reaction of, like, this is just puerile, puerile. That's what I <laughs> yeah. can imagine. Mate, so true, so true. I, de- I definitely think... I almost wanted to, like... I wish I had, like, a survey sheet to hand out at the end of that screening to be like, what did you think of this bit of the film? What did you think of this? What did you think of this? Because I would love to know what that my, my screening genuinely thought of the movie. Yeah, because I think millennials will love this film and I think a lot of people will. I think some people are going to find it... <coughs> Sorry. Um, I think some people are going to find it... Some people are going to cough in its face. Yeah, literally. Well, there we go. Way too pretentious. I think people will find it way too pretentious. Um, which I don't think that's the case at all. I think it's really well... I don't know. Well, let's, let's see. What would you rate it? I would rate it eight point five. I really, really enjoyed it. I thought it was the most um, captivating. Well, it was the best twist I've seen since we started the podcast. It kept me like interested the whole way through, um, and it had a lot of actors that I cared about in really good roles. Fair enough. I would also give it an eight point five. Um, I would have given it um, a 9.5 or a 9. That I just have I have one small criticism that irked me throughout the film. Go on. Which which is, and you may disagree with this, um, Lakefield Stanfield, Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the main guy, Cash Green, I don't think he's lip syncing for when um, 
David Cross's voice came out was very good. It always seemed like he was mumbling and hashing a lot of the words, whereas a lot of the other characters, it felt like they got the inflections of the words that they were saying. Like, it just felt like Cassius was kind of, like, missing a lot of the words. And because of it, I kept on looking at his mouth um, and rather than listening to David Cross's fantastic narration. Uh, that's my only problem with the film. Apart from that, 8.5 was fantastic. Fair play, fair play. Right, let's go on to Creed 2. Do you remember when we wanted this podcast to be an hour? <laughs> yeah, I know. Time flies <laughs> when you're having fun, William. Whoop, whoop, party! Um, Creed 2, the sequel to Creed 1. Um, except it wasn't called Creed 1, it was just called Creed. Creed. <laughs> uh, Michael B. Jordan, you know the story. He's Adonis Creed. He's the son of Apollo Creed. Apollo Creed died in the ring. Ivan Drago killed him. Guess who's back in Creed 2? Ivan fucking Drago. Guess who he's bringing with him? Victor fucking Drago. Guess who Michael B. Jordan's got with him? Sylvester Stallone. This is just, you know, it's treading back to Rocky 3 and 4. It's kind of the first film introduced you to the Adonis-Rocky kind of dynamic. Ryan Coogler directed it. It was fantastic. It was one of the probably unlikeliest films to be that liked, especially in terms of reboots. Um, but it was it was special. It was engaging. It was um, heartbreaking. It was, it was terrific. Um, high hopes for this film even though it is no longer directed by Ryan Coogler, it is being directed by a gentleman called Stephen Capel Jr., who hasn't really done a lot before. Um, yeah, I wish, I, I wish in my notes where I have Stephen, Stephen Capel Jr., um, I could actually name a film that he's like done, which I'd know. There's nothing. No, There's not... a lot of in, either indie projects or like very, very sort of like low down, like animated stuff. But the reason for that is he's, he's 30 years old this year. He, mm. in 2017, was named by Forbes as one of the 30 under 30 in Hollywood and entertainment. Um, which Will's laughing at me for because he knows I've just read it straight off Google. Correct, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, this guy's got a lot on his shoulders. Ryan Coogler has gone on to do Black Panther. Before he did Creed, he did Fruitvale Station with Michael B. Jordan, which is one of the best films I've seen in the last three or four years. It is really, really phenomenal. That would probably be a 9.5. Um so, oh really? Yeah, terrific film, terrific film. We should actually um we should watch that together when we've got a rainy a rainy week where there's not anything in the cinema and we can review it on the pod. Um but anyway, Creed 2 it brings back all the same characters. It brings back Tessa Thompson again as Bianca, um his girlfriend who has the kind of the hearing loss issue from the first film. That's kind of, you know, still involved in this film. Um she's still very much losing it. Um you've got Felicia Rashad playing Mary Ann Creed, um, Adonis's mother, uh, who reprises her role from the first film. And this film frames itself in a Adonis is on the rise. He really is the star of boxing um, until he kind of gets goaded into this fight with Victor Drago um, against Rocky's will. He decides to go for it. Rocky sort of thinks, you know, kid, you need to don't take this one. Like there's so much behind this fight for the Dragos. Ivan Drago, played by Dolph Lundgren. It's kind of it's shown in this film. It wasn't really shown before on the Rocky franchise, but it's shown in this film that he, after losing to Rocky, he was kind of shunned 
after killing Apollo Creed in the ring, he was he was shunned by the Russian boxing, you know, oligarchy, that whole sphere of influence that he had out there. So he is very much kind of vicariously living through his son, Victor, in this film. Um, their relationship is probably the most interesting element of this film for me. I think you're right. I think that the rest of the film, whilst because I've not seen... I, I, I'm going to be blank about... be, be um, Anyway, I'm gonna, I am going to. I haven't seen Creed. I haven't seen any of the Rocky films. I now have seen Creed and I've seen Rocky 1, but I didn't have time to see the, see the rest of them, um, which is a shame because I didn't see um, Apollo, Cru- uh, Apollo, Apollo Crews, um, Apollo Creed's death and etc. Anyway, um, I... I liked this film. I thought that the problems with it were essentially that I did. I wasn't fully invested in Adonis Creed, which I should have been. I thought that Michael B. Jordan was doing good acting, and I thought Tessa Thompson was doing fantastic acting. And Sylvester Stallone um, really, really blew me away because I'd never seen him before as Rocky, um, and he's great. He's fantastic in this film. However, I do find that... A lot, a lot of it's to to do with the script, which um, Stallone wrote. Um, it just doesn't have the same impact. It, it feels like because it's this, a sequel, like them having all this success is kind of baggage that the first film didn't have. The first film was gritty and raw, and this film doesn't have that. It's got a sort of airbrushed feel. And some of the monologues, for example, um, I, I, I felt this in the screening. I thought, oh, I'm quite intuitive. They always start with, like, an observation of a situation. So I can't remember an exact example, but, like... Um, and it, and then they will go on a talk, a very generic talk, about, oh, um, you shouldn't be in the ring, or you're not ready for this, or don't do this to my baby, etc. And then it always circles back in the last line of the monologue, um, or duologue, to the in the the scenario that's placed before, and I think it's quite lazy writing to do that. I think it's quite sort of like duologue one hundred and one. This is how you write um, like sport movie scenes where you've got lots of cliches. Um, apart from that, I thought the film was fine, but apart nothing past that. All right. So the problem I had with it was this film again is stunningly shot. It looks beautiful. Michael B. Jordan is he gives another kind of real physical performance that is just it's impressive to watch um the tr- none of it is like the fight scenes and the training scenes and all of that on both sides drago and creed it, none of it's boring it's all very interesting to watch however you're right they didn't flesh out the right stuff now we're looking at this as a potential you know the rocky films went on for ages michael b jordan could very much hold this mantle and there could be a creed 3 creed 4 etc this did scream second movie syndrome to me like when we discussed fantastic beasts crimes of grindelwald in the sense that Creed 2 doesn't end with some massive cliffhanger that's leading to new things that are going to come in the next films. It kind of very much could end after this movie, but it doesn't really know what to do with itself and what to develop. Mm. Um, So, all right, so the relationship, there was no... There was none of the spark and chemistry of the relationship between Adonis and Bianca in this film, um, like there was in the first film. Instead both the chemistry and the kind of the continuation of her hearing problem and where that was going to go is kind of sidestepped by her becoming pregnant and them having a child in this second film. 
and I'm not saying that it isn't all nice and it's a it's an interesting plot line, but they have a baby like it's a fucking cakewalk. There is no stress, no difficulty to that story arc. And it's actually quite boring. Like, a lot of the film, a big chunk of the middle of the film revolves around Creed recovering from his first fight with Victor Drago, them getting pregnant and having a baby, and then him making amends with Rocky and building up to the big fight that he's obviously going to win against Victor round two. Um, And I just thought where the first film had this kind of like young guy finding his feet, trying to build this relationship with both a girlfriend who's suffering from a debilitating illness, but also an old man who's scarred by what happened to his father. There was so much weight and it was so meaty that first film in between the fight scenes there was so much happening and so much gravity to every conversation whereas Mm. this time i think they kind of just thought right okay well he's at the top of his game so what do we do we dress him down a bit he loses his fight um and then what do we do um let's stick in this plot that he has a kid because you know he is married now and that is where these things go and And rocky 2 also follows very similar lines of that rocky 2 sort of follows um adrian and rocky like having a kid and like how that dynamic happens yeah so it's a it's a retreading of similar territory but but i don't think it's done as well it just felt a bit boring and i also thought ironically even though um sylvester stallone had more influence over the direction and writing of this second script um he wasn't in it as much as I was hoping he would be. He kind of bows out in the first third of the film before Creed's first meet with Drago, and then it kind of takes him a while to kind of get back into the fold and for them to get back into the groove of their relationship. And I thought their relationship was such a special part of the first film that it seemed stupid to lose that. Um, and I also thought, and, and this is the biggest criticism I have of this film, it's the biggest praise and the biggest criticism. The relationship between Dolph Lundgren and, well, Ivan Drago and Victor Drago is undeniably the most interesting part of this film. It's woefully underdeveloped. Like, you get a handful of scenes with the two of them together, which combine to maybe, I don't know, four or five minutes of screen time. And they, those five minutes for me have so much more to them than the whole of the Adonis Bianca storyline. Um, and the thing that really got to me in it was this this concept of you, you you work out very quickly that Ivan Drago is pushing his son to be the best he can. This guy's a fucking brute. He's played by a Brazilian guy called Florian Muntau. And this guy's, I don't know if you've seen his Instagram, mate, he's an absolute machine. Mm. Um, he's huge. He's terrifying. And when you see Michael B. Jordan stood up against him in the ring, Florian has about a head of height on him. And, that and shoulders is, to match. It's yeah, crazy. Mate, like, it, it's the whole so intimidating. Like, looks like Dave Batista at the pre- peak of his prime. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, but when Ivan is pushing his son, training him or whatever, when he's not doing well enough, um, it's always we and never I or you. And I found that quite scary because it was like the idea was, or what the film was trying to get across, was that Dolph Lundgren is pushing his failures onto his son as weight to force him to have to be better. Mm-hmm. You, you have to do this for us. We have to do this. You have, we have to beat 
Adonis Creed, da 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 da. And that was really intense. And you can tell there are kind of like little, like, smidges of moments where you can kind of tell that Victor is not completely on board with this whole situation but doesn't want to do his father a disservice and so so that was massively underdeveloped for me and it was the most interesting part of the film but also to bring Dolph Lundgren and Sylvester Stallone back into a room is such a powerful thing and they have one scene where they sit down and talk in Rocky's restaurant and it is boring. It is pointless. It is there is fuck all that is said between them. It's all like I want to fight. I want to fight you too. It's, nice it, pictures. Leave. It, it's it's ridiculous. Like you have all of this weight that was built up by the Rocky franchise. You guys hate each other. There should have been more interaction between them in the film. There one hundred percent should have been. It, it what, frankly it wasn't good enough. And I think that this film was serviceable. It carries on the artistic style of the first film. If you like Michael B. Jordan, you'll like the film. The Dragos are the best part of this film, surprisingly. I thought maybe it was going to be a tad cheesy having them back in it. But moving forward, ironically, I would rather pay to go and see a film fleshing out the life of Victor Drago and Ivan Drago than I would a third Adonis Creed film. Yeah, 100%. I think it'd be really cool if they had the idea of like taking all those characters from the first film and like having Creed as a standalone movie and then having Drago as a standalone movie and doing all these ones yeah. rather than having Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed 3, Creed 4 because that formula gets old but doing the other formula of just taking all these characters and developing them like you can have one where Sylvester Sloan and his son have to reconcile the differences and it's less about boxing and you get like a really incredible um, director who can who directs like very empathetic empathetic cinema to get behind it um yeah like that would be an amazing yeah. thing to do but i i just like i don't know i, I thought that was an issue and the only other thing i'll say about it because i'm kind of hating on it a bit i did enjoy this film it just had a lot of it could have been so much better and i can't help but feel like if ryan coogler was behind the wheel and stallone wrote less of the script this would be an even better film um but creed doesn't seem to have any friends he doesn't seem to have any entourage now He's a personable bloke. He's nice. He's engaging. He's interesting. He's also at the peak of fame. It is ridiculous that they've done two films now and haven't expanded on his like social structure beyond his mum and his wife. Like, mm. if they want him to carry through into a third and maybe fourth film, by now they should have fleshed out some relationships other than Rocky, Bianca and his mum. Yeah, it, it's got it's got a very 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 linear narrative structure in terms of who Creed spends his time with and who they give screen time, and I think that is kind of not going to work if they carry on making these films with him. Well, I thought that, but because I'd never seen the Creed one, I thought that Buddy Marcel, the boxing promoter who um, acts on behalf of the Dragos, um, was a recurring character. But no, no, he's no, he's just new, and that disappointed me so much when I went went back to see Creed when just not seeing Buddy Marcel in the film at all. Like, I just thought that like such a missed opportunity to like have recurring characters like build up people who are in Creed One and Creed Two, yeah. Like build a franchise. They like they've not built upon anything in this franchise apart from the Dragos, and they can't do the thing which Rocky Three and Rocky Four went where. Well, I suppose they can, but like it'd be a waste to do Creed becoming best friend with um, Victor Drago. That'd be a disaster. 
Mate, if they do a third one, I'd like to see Creed fight Mr. T's son. <laughs> That's yeah. I, I'd pay to go and see that. <laughs> yeah, that'll be fun. Um, that'll be very, very but, fun. But, you know, what would the storyline be with that? Creed has a second child or Creed's mum dies. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, I, I feel like they've left themselves in a situation where there's a very limited set of directions that a new film could go in. And I think that they had they have the potential for a really impressive franchise, but I just don't think this second one enabled that. It fitted into the Rocky tropes much more than the first one did. The first one was a breakaway from Rocky that still had the same characters in the same universe, whereas the second film very much feels like a retreading of the 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 actions of three and four with the storyline of two. Yeah. Yeah. What would you... If we go on to Critic Quote Awards then... Um, what was your best description of Creed 2? Um, I'd say the film simmers before it explodes and often, and often it maintains the slow burn for a moment too long in the quieter moments between family members. I think that's... Um, it's from Kate Walsh by the Tribune News, News Service. I forgot to say who it was by. Sorry, Katie Walsh. Um, I think that leads to it. I think the fact is is that the, for, for, the, for, for most of the film, we are just one-to-one, one-to-one duologue talking. There's no, like... There's, there's, it's just, it just goes slowly. It just continues on at quite a slow pace, and building up to the first fight is quite slow. And then the recovery period feels like such a slow time. And nothing, was, nothing unsurprising happens in this film. Yeah, and I will say because I, I did get swept up in the emotion of this film when I, when I saw it, um, I, I think I took a step back and realized, okay, this is not as good as I think it was. I think it's a film that you can get quite caught up in the the spectacle of it all and the and the sports film of it all but it just isn't good enough as a product compared to what compared to its predecessors yeah no i completely agree i got very swept up in it i loved it when i was watching the fight scenes i was shouting at the screen i was going oh fucking go on man all this kind of stuff but it just when i left the cinema and over the following days i kind of just looked back at it and thought actually you know what like yeah the boxing scenes were great you know what it was i, I watched the tyson fury deontay wilder fight and that, that was a real boxing fight. And it was one of the most impressive fights I've ever watched. Um, and it was when I was watching that that I realised that I love the fight scenes in Creed 2 and they really do capture what boxing's like. But I didn't really give a toss about any of the rest of the film. Mm. Um, and that was it for me. Yeah, that's the problem. Um, my best description was from Carrie Darling of the Houston Chronicle. She said, Creed 2 steps inside the ropes under the heavy weight of expectations is not as nimble and has put on some pounds around the middle. Yet while the film doesn't get heads ringing like the first one, it's still able to go the distance. Yeah, fair enough. Um, yeah. Um, most Savage, mine is from Daniel Barnes from the Sacramento News and Review. He says, whatever you think about Rocky Four, it is inarguably a mid-90s time cap- capsule. Creed 2 isn't a time capsule, but it should get buried. Oh. I know. Oh. I know. It's crushing. He Who was, was saying that? the what last was his name? Daniel Barnes from the Sacramento News and Daniel Review. Daniel Barnes, well played, mate. You might have Scotty Marks played for a few. <laughs> we'll have to. We'll have to do a Sacramento versus San Diego duel next week. Let's um, get ready to rumble. <laughs> it'd be a better fight. Um, <laughs> my most savage quote was from. This is ridiculous. All right, so it's it's the magazine Nerdist, and the person is called Treatment Johnson. I'm sorry, but I refuse to believe there is anyone out there who names their child Treatment. Treatment, yeah. What? Why? That's not a name. Why? 
Why? That's something you get done to your nails. Ooh. Anyway. Are you familiar with the nail process? <laughs> no, not at all. Anyway, <laughs> um, does it show? The <laughs> Treatment Johnson from Nerdist said the ineffective emotional stakes, watered-down drama and threadbare relational conflicts make Creed 2 exceedingly impersonal. I, I can... Un- Is it... Is it impersonal? I think it's. I do. I, think it's pers- I, I don't think that there's really much. Like, I cared about the characters and sorry to bother you more than I did the ones in Creed Two, and I loved the first Creed film. I don't think it's impersonal. I think it fails to be personal. I think there's a difference. Impersonal suggests a devoid, a complete lack of it, and it's. Um, whereas I feel like it just is trying to be personable. All right, fail- fair play. Failing. Yeah. What, you, what was your best moment? Um, oh, I think you're going to hate me for saying this because I think I think it sums up everything that you find wrong with this film. It's when he walks into the ring in Russia when Bianca sings. I loved it. Oh no, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, I loved yeah. every yeah. moment about it. I just I thought I thought I was so basic for liking it. But it was when the um like the little like like the line of um was it like an MRI? What's that? Th- what's that scanner where where like you you're dying and then it goes beep beep beep. Is that an MRI scanner? No. No, an MRI scanner. Is a magnetic resonance. Never mind. Well, no, it's anyway, not that. The, the, the beep, the beep thing. The death and life scanner. There we go. I had the, that going across the screen, and then there's the 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 lights going down across the ring. It was beautiful. And that song, I put it on my iPod. I really like it. I thought I think she's got a really cool voice. And she's she's going out with Janelle Monae. She's the best person in the world. Yeah, she's pretty incredible, isn't she? Yeah, she's cool. Um, my favourite moment, obviously I said I love the Drago scenes, um, but my favourite moment in the film, and it was a combination of the way it's shot and also just thinking about the weight of the uh, the weight of it, it's when Adonis has won the second fight and he looks down and he looks at Rocky and Rocky smiles at him and tips his hat and then Adonis kind of gets dwarfed by all these people that are in the ring kind of like cheering and raising him up or whatever and when all this chaos is going on all this excitement it's this shot of Rocky's back and the ring in front of him and all the glitz Mm. and the glamour and he he sits down while everyone else is up and rushing around and I just loved it because it was like Sylvester Stallone's come out in the news and said that he um he very much intends to hand this mantle franchise mantle over to Michael B. Jordan now. He doesn't have any intentions to reprise the Rocky role ever again. Um, well done, Sylvester. And, and, and if that is if that is truly his final moment on screen, I, I loved it. I thought it was just so beautiful. Like, imagine having done that for years. Practically, well, he invented the role, didn't he? Yeah. Um, and for him to, like, take that, sit down and kind of look at everything he's achieved, I just thought it was beautiful. And ironically, for a film that I'm not going to rate very highly, um, I'm going to give a 6 out of 10. Um, I think that's one of the most beautiful moments I've seen in a film in the last few months. I, I really yeah. think it is. It was really, really special. The only thing I can kind of liken it to is kind of Hugh Jackman's exit in Logan. Oh, don't make me cry. Um uh, six out of ten is what I'd also rate it. I think it was. I did enjoy the film when I was watching it. I think just it doesn't have much last lasting impact. It's like a it's like a fun film to watch at the cinema um, if you really like the Rocky films, but it's nothing to cry about. It's and definitely to, 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 to talk home about. It's de- yeah, and it's definitely a cinema film though, and that's the difficulty. Is I don't you know if you're going to go and watch something at the moment, go and watch. Sorry to bother you because my God, you'll never get an experience like it. Um, but. 
there is something special about being on a huge sound system on a big screen watching Michael B. Jordan fucking duke it out with mm. Florian Muntau. Like, it's pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. And that's that. We're only, half, that. we're only half an hour over what we were expecting to be. <laughs> we hope, you've all, we hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, next week, we have a... Well, we should have a superhero double whammy. Um, in the next few days, we have both Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and Aquaman coming out. So we are hoping to bring you a Marvel versus DC spectacular. Oh, um, Jake. Who do you think is going to win? Who do you think is going to win? Oh, Spider-Man. Absolutely, mate. I'm so, so excited for this film. And it's been smashing the reviews. Some people have been saying it's the best film of 2018. Um, cannot wait to see it. Um, so that's I... going to be great. But equally, the Aquaman trailers have been really impressive. And I think it looks like one of the better DC outings of late. I think, and this is my prediction, that Marvel is going to best DC in this instance, but but it's going to be a big battle because DC with this film look like they're actually they're actually like doing it. They're finally creating content to like rival Marvel. Do you want um, to do you want to rate the films each before we review them so that then we can look back next week and see if it holds up? My predictions are: I think I'm going to rate the Spider-Man film a nine out of ten. Because I just think I just think it's going to be terrific, and I think I'm going to rate Aquaman a seven out of ten. I think I'm going to rate rate Spider Man a eight, and I think I'm going to rate Aquaman a seven point five. Mm, so it's closer in my head. But Aquaman is Aqu- you, you. This is the thing. Your heart is completely put behind Spider Man because you, that's your favorite superhero. You've said it on the podcast before. You it's love true. him. The man knows um, me. Aquaman for me was always the superhero that like was taking the mick out of and I fucking loved in the old in the DC comics like DC comics when I was reading them like 1990s 2000s graphic novels Aquaman had a reinvention where he got like a he got a he he got his hand chopped off his wife died hey whoa 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 save it for the Marvel DC fight next week we'll we'll fucking duke it out mate let's do like a top trump style this is why Superman's better this is why Aquaman and we will leave it up to the listeners to decide thank you very much thank you very much for listening in this week um, keep in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, 52 Week Project, 52 Week Film Project at gmail.com. Um, and we will see you all next week. Bye.